Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Welcome to Oil and Gas Global Network's Elevate Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Johnson, always joined by my good friend Sean McCoy. Sean, how are you doing? Good, brother. How you doing? Doing excellent. Let me just say I am super excited about today's show. This entire show was recorded on location at the Thrive Energy Conference, hosted by Daniel Energy Partners. As you know, my law firm, Winston & Strawn, was a sponsor of the Thrive Conference, and we were excited to be a part of it. But one of the things I was super excited about was the opportunity to do this particular podcast episode. So we're going to open up with a talking point segment with Bill Austin from Daniel Energy Partners, kind of talking about their vision for Thrive and kind of what we've done with that conference. So super excited about that. Which was great, and it leads perfectly into our case study, which is the Ideal EFRAC by NOV and their progress that they've made in electrifying the fracking process throughout the industry. And then we have an amazing insight segment with Ian Hinkis from Nextier, who basically Nextier was out there doing the field testing for NOV and kind of talking about that impact on their business and impact on their customers. So excited about all of this. All right. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome to the talking point of the segment. Eric, you know, one of the things about the, the pandemic is it has really, it's changed our lives in so many ways and it was putting so many things on hold. But the one thing that we we loved before, we loved during, and we're going to love after is getting together with people and connecting. And specifically in any, just about any industry, we do that through conferences so many times, these events, and it's a chance to congregate because there's some things that you just that just don't translate over distance and over online interactions of that nature. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, in person is better. A, a chance to connect with somebody face to face, a chance to feel their emotion, their passion when they're talking about their products, their services, the companies, or even their families. Right. So, in person is definitely superior. And, and glad that we seem to be moving back towards that and maybe some normal life. Yeah, and one of the big ways we're doing that, and which is the essence of this, uh, the talking point segment, we're going to be talking to Bill Austin, who's a managing partner at Daniel Energy Partners. He started as an investment banker in 2000, where he worked, and he worked at the Key Energy Services until 2009, where he met John Daniel. So then after that, he wore a lot of hats with different companies, M&A stuff for about four or five years between Cameron, Forum, Honeywell, and some other areas, heavy on the capital side and equipment areas. And then he decided to join Daniel Energy Partners in June of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And so we were just talking a minute ago about how timing can be everything. But as we sit right now, the beauty about what we're doing is we're actually at the Thrive Energy Conference, which is the first of its kind, the first for Daniel Energy Partners, which is putting it on. You just got done speaking as one of the, as Winston and Strong being one of the sponsors. And so we just thought it'd be a great chance to bring Bill on, talk about what's going on with the event and actually kind of what is going on with conferences in general, where he sees things going and some of the things they were up against with trying to be as we, as we go and try to you know decide when and where we're going to engage in those areas. So Bill, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited to be at the conference too. 
Take us back in time. Obviously, you joined last summer, but take us back in time to this whole idea. Where did this little nugget, this little idea, which I've already described today to many people as insane, <laughs> to actually host this amazing conference? Just tell us about the birth of that right. idea. Right. Well, look, you know, when I joined John, we were talking, you know, Daniel Energy Partners was just going to be kind of a research and consulting practice. It was just, you know, we were really excited about it. We thought that people would pay for research. We thought that we, they'd pay us to do consulting projects, which you know we both know the industry really well. But we also, John had been doing a barbecue in Midland for a bunch of years, and it had become a, Sean, our other our other partner, really does a nice job of of describing it as it was called the Woodstock for frackers. And, a, you know, a lot of people would come together and it was a great driver for both business for, for Simmons, where John was previously and Sean, but also just a ton of people in the industry loved it. And, and so last summer in the middle of a pandemic, we thought, oh yeah, by September, this whole thing is going to blow over. We'll do the barbecue in Midland. It'll be fine. That was obviously misguided, ambitious, Am ambitious, misguided, <laughs> a lot of different things. And we realized quickly, you know, we can't have this, this barbecue at the end of September. Let's think of something else that we can do. And let's try to have a reasonable time frame as to when we can have it. And one of the things that we had come up with was we wanted to be able to have a conference in Houston. A lot of times these conferences are in New York, in other places where the investors are, which is totally understandable. And all these companies have gotten used to, hey, we're doing Zoom meetings. I want to be able to have a meeting in the morning, go to the conference or, or talk to investors or other um, competitors, you know, product line guys, and then go home and, and sleep in my own bed. That seems, you know, on the Zoom world, that's what people really like. And we said, well, why don't we just have it in Houston? And why don't we have it at like a really unique place, Minute Maid Park, I'm pretty sure is going to be open in February. Baseball season's not happening. <laughs> and let's do it. And so we kind of both said, let's do it to each other. You know, we're, we're sitting across a conference room six feet away from each other, say, all right, let's go. And then it just kind of snowballed. And we said, let's get a meeting with the Astros. Let's like go down there and tour it. And next thing you know, we're, we're actually having this thing, which has been a heck of a journey. And we also realized really early that it was a unique event, a new unique space. It's not just in some ballroom, you know, with a bunch of equipment and, and people kind of milling around doing the same things. Then we also wanted to have unique speakers and good topics because frankly, conferences in general are good that we like being around other people, but they can be really boring and you don't really get a lot out of it. Sometimes we wanted to make sure that people started to get a lot out of what we were doing is invite only really high level people to be able to talk about either their company or investing in their company. And, you know, now we're here. I think there's another part of that's very, it seems very obvious that you're, you're taking into account logistics around people in terms of spacing. So like with the main area where you're doing your main speakers, it's limited access. But then the beauty of this park is we can sit like we've been doing today in the suites or different parts of anywhere in this stadium. And the rest, and those, those speaking engagements, like the one that Eric just did, are being broadcast over television so you can maintain that distance. Right. When we first decided we want to do this, we said, okay, Minute Maid Park's got a retractable roof. Why don't we do it there where it can be open? It can be an outdoor event. And we, we thought we were really clever, but we also realized that this in this world, you do need to be distanced. We're still not totally beyond this thing, but if we can get people together safely and they can see the panels on El Grande, the Jumbotron, or on the TVs and suites or wherever, that should make people really comfortable with being around others, but at the same time, 
distanced. So, you know, I'd like to say that we're really smart and we thought of all of these things, but it really just kind of came together from, we wanted to be at a really cool spot and we, we like Minute Maid Park and we like baseball. So talk to us a little bit, about, obviously the biggest hurdle was COVID and trying to overcome that, but talk us about, what was that next hurdle that we were like, hey, we're, gonna, we're trying to get this inaugural event off the ground. Was it building that momentum initially? Was it finding enough critical mass to say, hey, no, we've actually got these people. Just, you know, what was that journey like as you try to build this thing out for the first time? Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it earlier, people kind of viewed us as crazy. I mean, we're talking about this in August and in September of last year. Again, we thought that we were giving it enough distance. We thought we were going to be okay. I mean, it was John and I and the team kind of around us, we had a ton of momentum internally. It was, hey, where's the first sponsor going to come from? Where's the first guy that is going to agree to speak at this going to come from? And we had a lot of, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. We'd like to do it. And then, you know, kind of, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, maybe in a couple of months. But it really, the big hurdle was just getting people to commit and say, hey, we're going to do this. And I'd like to say it was just obvious that it was going to happen. But I mean, Eric, when we first started talking to you, we're like, let's see if, if Eric wants to join us. And it just started going from there. Right. Well, and maybe you can speak a little bit of that, Eric, because you actually have a unique aspect in this, in this conversation with y'all's company sponsoring that. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that decision-making process? Yeah. So Winston and Strawn is run from Chicago. Right. And from New York. Okay. On a lot of the corporate powers on the corporate side of the business are in New York. And so you, you can imagine when the good old boy from Texas calls up and says, <laughs> hey, can you give me some money to sponsor my friends? We're going to get together at a baseball stadium and have a good time. The reaction was exactly as you would expect it. There was a lot of skepticism. But I think you know, one of the things I tell people every time I talk about Thrive is when I heard John talk about it, when I heard Bill talk about it, and when I knew what their vision was, I was like, no, no, this is going to be a home run. In my mind, the only X factor was the two things that Bill have already talked about, right? Which is, is COVID, is a fourth wave going to come right. and slam us down? Or are they're going to be, you know, are we going to get that critical mass where it eventually just takes over? And we ultimately ended up checking both of those boxes. Right. And so, but I had to, and I think I told you about this, Bill, there was a conversation I had to have with our head of marketing. Yes, you did. Head of marketing at Winston and & Strawn. And we got on the phone with him and I just went on like a 10 minute speech about how amazing this, this is going to be, talking about the boutique nature of it, talking about the invite only, talking about an opportunity to be a first mover, to get people back together and you know, can have that explosion. And he could sense my enthusiasm about it. And he kind of paused and said, we're interested. And I, I finally said to him, I go, look, if you want me to write a personal check to cover part of it, I will do it. That's how much I believe and thrive. And he paused for a second and there was silence and there was probably about 10 people on the phone. And he just said, okay, we're in. And yeah. so I see it today as we right. sit here and recording this, you can see the energy, you can see the passion, you can see the high level people are here that these people are engaging and active. So, you know, Winston and Strawn is honored and privileged to have sponsored this, privileged to be a founding sponsor. Appreciate the vision from Daniel Engine Partners, and we're just excited to be a part of it. So, Bill, if we can jump on that sentiment a little bit, I was going to ask you, and we're right in the middle of the conference as we're as we're doing this, and so I don't want to go too far past today, but it seems to me like that there's a real high potential for the future of conferences, regardless, to mature, to evolve. You know, it's part of our thing, not yep. just ESG, to thrive, to yeah, thrive, thrive. Right? So, part of that is this transition of of changing the way we do this these kinds of events. So, maybe there's not so many, and maybe it is more boutique. It is more invite only. It is more kind of structures. It's more efficient that way. Because I think 
all of us, I think, I don't care what industry you're in, you've probably been to conferences and they can be so wide and vast that you're just right. in an anthill. Right. And look, again, we thought we were being clever, but at the end of the day, like we did want something different. And I think a lot of people want something different. There's, we can talk a lot about energy. We can talk a lot about the world and how it's changed. But one of the things is that people don't want to do the same old stuff. It's got to be different. You have to be engaging with people. You have to have the right people there. If you're just going to have a Me Too conference that's just the same as it was in, in 2019, that's just not going to work anymore. And into the future, that's what we see is how these things will change. And again, people, I think prior to this, were, were kind of certain conferences were getting long in the tooth where people said, hey, I'm spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to this. There's no real return on our investment on this. Why are we still doing it? And we really hope that we can we, we, we put a, a cost conscious thing together so that when companies come, they can say, we didn't spend a ton of money, but we got the right people, we were in the right spot, and there's actually a return on what we did, You know, either at Minute Maid Park or one of the other things that we're going to do later this year. Now, we obviously have a connection with Winston and Strawn and all that, and with Eric, but more than that, the part that's kind of brought us to this event is the ESG aspect of it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that played a factor in the planning and the organization of the conference? Yeah, one of the big things that John and I have seen, and John especially on the oil field services side, was the, this, the rise of the EFRAC and how that is kind of really upending that business. And you can kind of tie that right back to ESG where all of the large operators are saying, we need to have a better accounting for the environmental piece of what we do. Look, we take oil out of the ground. That's just kind of the basis of what we do, but we do need to know all of our service providers, how that all works and how much emissions they are putting into the world. And really we saw that from the on the, on the EFRAC side and we said, we wanna showcase a bunch of the new EFRAC options out in the parking lot. And so that really is what shot up the ESG piece for us was here's a piece of equipment that is different that can help these operators, you know, hit all of these check marks, whatever you wanna call it, they can start doing that. And it really kind of snowballed on the ESG side from there. We know it's a big topic and people need to continue to be educated on it. So let's just talk some raw numbers real quick. Tell me about number of speakers, people who are registered, the, co the companies that are here. We just wanna hear some numbers and, and yeah. pat you on the back and tell you congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Look, so we had over a thousand people register for the for the conference. I think it's something like five hundred or four hundred and ninety companies that are here as well, which is far and away blew all of our expectations away. And we're we couldn't be happier with the number of people that are here that are milling around and the companies that are that are representing. And I think you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, but the, you know the, the word on the street, the grapevine, whatever we want to call it, is there are people who were not necessarily sponsors, but who registered and came, and they've seen what you guys have done. And so I think as we look out to 2022 and beyond, I think the momentum is going to grow. I mean, I think you got no pun intended. You guys hit a home run <laughs> with this first year event. I had to get that in. I've been, yeah, no, I've been like dying, been dying to. to say that. Yeah. Well, look. <laughs> We've already locked down the venue for next year, same week next year. And you're right. I think a lot of the people that we went to maybe in January or, or December of last year that said, hey, I just don't think this is the right time to Eric's point, you know, stopped by anyway and saw all the people that are here and said, man, we missed out on being a sponsor this year and, and having a larger presence, but we will be here next year. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So, so Bill, obviously, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to do this. We're, we're, we're honored to be here as well and hope that this leads to our people to hear about it, know that there's a real thought and process going to it, that it's not just something a bunch of people that want to get together, but there's real things happening and we're taking into account all the different things. So congrats on a successful conference. Yeah. Again, thanks for having us, having me on and Eric, you know, thanks for all of your support throughout this. You know, Daniel Energy Partners is looking forward to a great 2021. We, you know, we obviously have our research notes and the other things that we do as well that are a big part of what we do and informs all of our conversations here. But we're just excited that we're able to pull it off. Awesome. And, and great job setting up our case study, which is coming up up here after the break as we talk to Travis Bolt from NOV about the ideal EFRAC. Hey, Sean, a quick note about our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Through HPE's extensive activity and experience in the oil and gas industry, they have identified six key areas to enable your company to get ahead of the competition. Cloud-based consumption, advanced analytics, secure mobility solutions, physical and cybersecurity offerings, asset virtualization, and application modernization. So with that, do you want to find out more about one or all of those solutions? Go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT or click on the link in the show notes for more information and to download their white paper about these subjects. Welcome to the case study segment of the podcast. Eric, if there's a word in all of oil and gas that gets everybody's attention, there isn't quite a word like fracking. When you hear that, what do you think about well, I think about revolution. I think about saving the business. I think about energy and power for the world. But I know a lot of people think negative things, whether it be earthquakes, whether it be oil and gas is dirty, whatnot. And obviously, that is, I think that's a complete misperception of the amazing things that are going on with fracking. Yeah, I can remember people sending me the Gasland documentary and asking me why, you know, <laughs> why all this was happening in earthquakes in Oklahoma. And there's, and regardless of whether or not we like it or not, there's a stigma that comes with it. And part of this, idea of the of the evolution, even part of this podcast is trying to put information out there to help kind of explain what's happening in that realm. And so today we actually have what I think is no pun intended, an ideal <laughs> example. The ideal EFRAC from NOV is a new technology that has an ESG application, which we're going to learn about here in a bit from Travis Bolt, but it integrates an electric operation to the whole process because it's very, very resource consuming. Yeah, as, as we think about, as you think about environmental impact, as we think about emissions and whatnot, you know, it, over the last several years, you've seen EFRAC take off, and it's a, it's. It, I think I'm looking forward to the conversation with Travis and hearing about what NOV is doing to maximize all that. So before we talk to Travis, I'll tell you a little about him. He's the product development manager for pressure pumping equipment at NOV. He's got 12 years of technology development in the upstream and oil and gas sector, spanning downhole production, onshore and offshore interventions, and, stimu and stimulations. He has an MBA and is a founding committee member of the Energy Workforce Technology Council, which is the current merger of PISA and AESC. And he also has an accreditation from that organization in ESG as well. So he currently looks after the technology development R&D for NOV's pressure pumping and cementing group. And so with that, Travis, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Well, good morning and thanks for having me. It's a great opportunity to get out here and talk about what's going on in NOV and we're really excited about it. Yes, sir. It's good, it's good to see people again a little bit. So with that, let's start with the kind of first step we'd like to in this entire process in this journey. What was the, what was the gap? What was the chasm or the opportunity that y'all saw in regards to this, this medium? Yeah. So, I mean, fracturing is a divisive topic inside or outside the, the industry. And as we go through time, you know, starting back from maybe late 2000s into what we have today, you know, evolution has has driven a lot. And EFRAC is was started off primarily as a way to potentially 
capture fuel savings, right? So in the process of fracturing, we develop a lot of associated gases. And in that in that process of, of associated gases, we're, we're temp- in a lot of places, it, the production of it is is so great that we end up having to flare it or end up choking our wells. And so we have a plentiful source, a fuel source out there for fracturing in the field that's available. And so EFRAC was a potential opportunity to, to capture that. Fast forward, you know, seven, eight years, the wheels have turned a little bit and ESG has become, which is environmental, social and governance, has become a talking point among the industry as fracturing is a a large intensive operation. It's a target for, it's an easy target for when we consider emissions, things along those lines. So for EFRAC for us was, was not just potentially fuel savings, but it was also the potential to improve the way we do things and, and really the, our impact on the world around. So as you, as you jump into this process, this road, give us a couple of examples, uh, one of a problem that y'all came across that you expected and you knew you had to tackle, and then maybe one that you didn't. Sure, sure. So, I mean, from, from NOV's perspective, right, we're an empowering company, right? So when we look at developing technology, we're, we're going to develop technology that we can put out into the market that maybe lets others who are not maybe familiar with how that system works and what the nuances are. And so we, as an empowering company, want to de-risk that process. And electrification is a bit of a different world than what exists in mechanical fracturing. So the challenge, one of the challenges was and is de-risking for companies that are, are interested in EFRAC, what it means to transition, right? So allowing them to focus on what they are good at, which is fracturing, and us taking ownership of the electrification process and allowing them to have all the benefits of electrification is the goal without incurring a large penalty in their operations in, in doing so. And then one problem that you didn't expect that kind of has popped up in this, in this process? Yeah, it's in the last two years, power has evolved dramatically. And by that, EFRAC has become a major talking point in the industry. And, and as a result, different EMPs, different service companies have different approaches. And so when we entered this space, we knew that there was going to be some challenges, but we didn't expect it to be as diverse as what it is today. And we're seeing a lot of companies pop up that can potentially fill that gap. And we've got service companies are trying to figure out how to solve that problem themselves. EMPs are trying to figure out, you know, what's the recipe for them. And so I wouldn't say that we're any closer to an answer today than we are, you know, we were two years ago but we do have more options available. So help us understand what is it? So we, EFRAC sounds cool. You know, it's like iPhone and stuff like that. So give us a kind of, give us a one-on-one of what it is that was the, the actual product or service that you've created. Sure. So EFRAC is the process of the electrification of fracturing. And by that, we'll start with the history, right? So conventional frac is done with, with diesel reciprocating engines, right? So, and we're talking large scale. So you're going to deliver 50,000 horsepower on site. So that's, you know, and if you break that up in 2,500 horsepower increments, you're bringing out 20 frac trailers or more to perform this operation. And so the diesel consumption alone on a frac site is a million dollars potentially a month or more. And so the electrification of that is, is, is stepping back and saying, okay, we have an abundance of gas or we have potential access to grid power, which then allows us to, we then convert that into electricity and then we use it around site. And the reason that it's an advantage is electrification is a much simpler 
mechanical process than what you have with conventional. And so electrification also lets you get to higher power densities. It can potentially simplify your operations if done well, and it really can shrink your footprint on site. So it gives you the advantages of ESG, but then there's also operational advantages that can come along with it as well. Yeah. So the image in my mind was was when you see all the pressure pumping trucks just lined up, like you're saying, with that many... All right. So then now that you've, now that once you've launched this and now that you're officially out there in the market, what have you seen since that point in terms of the application or implementation of this product? Excitement, I think is the simplest way to put it. I mean, I think there's competing technologies out there, right? And eFrac is not the only thing that can scratch the ESG itch, if you will. But what we're seeing is, is a lot of folks excited about the potential advantages of electrification over potentially some of those other technologies. And so I would qualify it as excitement. Nice. So we're here at the Thrive Energy Conference. One of the big aspects of that is ESG applications. We hear it all the time. It's becoming a major prominent aspect of what it is that businesses are doing. Finance is how they're deciding how to invest. Help us understand relative to this product, what is the application on an ES and or G aspect that you see? So from NOV's perspective, it would be E and S, right? So environmental, right? So the accessibility to grid power, which is becoming a, a broader topic, is by far your cleanest and cheapest form of energy available in the world today. And the reason being is, is when you're able to do that, it goes to, you know, whether it's even running off of natural gas, it's going to go to a power generation plant, which has a lot of, you know, maybe second or third energy capture technologies, which is going to squeeze every BTU of energy out of that. And then we can transport that back and it's going to give you your cleanest form of energy. But even if you're just going to run off of field gas, what have you, you can have a very dramatic impact on your environmental footprint versus say, say diesel. And by that more than 50% reduction in, in CO2 equivalents, which is your greenhouse gases or in, in NOx, which is your contributors to smog, right? So you can have some very, you can further extend that maybe up to, to 90% if you choose to go with certain technologies, say water injection on turbines and things along that line. So that's that's part of it. From the social aspect, electrification can be less disruptive to the world around that. And by that, ultimately, because of the power density, right, we can run half as many trailers through the community to get the same amount of work done. And it's also quieter, right? So you go from a diesel recip fleet that's going to be running in you know, 120 decibel range down to with an EFRAC solution, you know, somewhere in the 85 to 90 decibels. So it's, it's less impactful to the world around. And it's ultimately potentially safer for the families that have folks that are working in the oil field, right? It's a safer way for them to do work. Travis, I, I think that was one of the best intros part we've ever had explaining something. So that was awesome. I think we just wrap it up. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could do that. One of the things that Sean and I always say is that we can't worry about sustainability unless our business is sustainable. So ROI and those types of things really matter. So I want to circle back to some of the things you mentioned as you were opening us up that I think were great, but focus a little bit on kind of some ROI issues, some true bottom line issues. And, and we talk about electrification is simpler. So the initial driver, of course, as you said, was fuel issues, right? If we can use field gas and not truck in thousands and thousands of gallons of diesel, there's ways to, you know, fuel efficiencies. But let's also talk about just how the EFRAC system works. Is, you know, is there less maintenance? Is there more uptime, more efficiency? Just talk about those gains and advantages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I sit back and I look at, you know, what is a sustainable technology, right? And prior to four years ago, I would have said it's two legs. It's technical advantage and economic advantage. I would say that now in our world today that it has to have three legs. I'll refer to it as a three-legged stool. Technical advantage, 
economic advantage and ESG advantages. So on the economic side, ultimately servicing, maintenancing less equipment, simpler drivetrains, what have you. Technical advantages, you know, for us is EFRAC lets us do more with less, right? We have and ultimately less equipment to look after. And then from the ESG advantage, it gives you a, a great opportunity to reduce your carbon footprint. As we talk about transition, and you mentioned that earlier, originally it was diesel, people pushing hard on the EFRAC now. There's this middle step and just wanted to get your thoughts about around dual fuel and how does dual fuel compete? How does it work? Is it something we're going to step past really quickly and is going to fade out because of customer demand? Or is that is that a viable backstop, I guess? I'd, thoughts on that? No, dual fuel is, is here to stay in some level. EFRAC is not going to displace conventional. It's not going to displace dual fuel at 100%. We're not going to see 100% market share of EFRAC. And for that, you know, there's different drivers for different customers. Super majors maybe are more concerned about certain things versus, you know, your your smaller EMP companies that are privately held. That being said, and even if, if a large company is interested in ESG, maybe EFRAC isn't the right solution because it's maybe potentially a little less mobile, what have you. And so no, dual fuel is here to stay in some level. I think it really depends on the operator and what their appetite is. So without going too far into the economics, because I know there's all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't, but can you give us an idea of a price differential between those two in terms of how it stacks up? Is it comparable? Is one cheaper than the other? So when it comes to pumping technology, it's, it's very comparable. So by that delivering a 50,000 horsepower pumping fleet of conventional versus dual fuel versus EFRAC, it's all relatively close to the same. The challenge with EFRAC is the power generation side, right? And so how does that play into the equation? And, and that's where the service company EMP discussion goes. And it, in the current business model in FRAC, I would say that it, it's a challenge for service companies to take on power. So there has to be an appetite on the EMP side to also take on EFRAC and then drive that together. I want to go back to something I think that's really probably driving almost all of this, and it's the customer part. It's the producers. What do the producers want? And, and you mentioned earlier the super major idea. You know, the super majors all have their net zero carbon targets, and and so as they turn around and look to their service providers, they're like, hey, we need to accomplish certain objectives. We need to partner with somebody who can build our ESG credibility. We want to look like we're partnering with somebody who is respecting that issue, the ESG leg, as you talked about. So wanted to get your thought. You said excitement earlier, and I assume that's excitement coming from these service providers that are seeing a product that can now respond to that customer demand. I wanted to get your just little thought about that whole dynamic about how the, how the producers are pushing this down to the OFS level. Sure, sure. And I'm probably not the most qualified to speak on this for sure. But when I have a lot of discussions with a lot of folks, you know, ESG is becoming part of the contract basis, right? As it service companies go out and they're competing against other service companies and ultimately ESG or environmental emissions, whatever you want to call it, becomes part of the calculus now. And that's why it's a changing world. We're in a different place than we were five years ago. I would say this though, you know, from our perspective, we would like, and our goal is, is not to have ESG advantages come at a cost premium. We want to be able to deliver as effective emissions reducing ESG friendly solutions at not necessarily a premium, whereas it becomes a no brainer, if you will, for service companies and for EMPs to say, hey, this solution makes sense because it gives me some advantages here and I'm not paying a premium for it. And I think that's the, the challenge with ESG long term is, is, is it something that people are actually going to be willing to pay for? Right. I want to go back and follow up on something that I think 
really important. I mean, we've talked about the math. We talked about the numbers, right? But I'm going to go back and talk about community a little bit. I spent a lot of time in Colorado. I drive through the Permian all the time. Sometimes I'm pulling a 30-foot trailer behind an F-250, and I'm on the highways, and I'm like, good Lord, you know, please let me make this, okay? But I want to talk a little bit about just that community impact. If you're talking about thousands of gallons of diesel per day being trucked to sites for conventional systems, you already mentioned the noise problem and, and dialing back the noise. Just Let's just expand a little bit on the community impact and, and kind of what you're hearing from in West Texas and other places about how that works out. Yeah. No, I mean, it's obviously we want to be less disruptive to the world around, right? And I think anybody can fully admit that we can do things better as we go through time and we're learning, right? So, I mean, when it comes to the community impact, it's the noise pollution, it's the road traffic, and you're right, it's not just moving the frack trailers to site, it's the fuel, right? And here's a picture that I'd like to paint. And so if I'm consuming diesel, I'm going to produce that, say in the Permian, I'm going to produce crude oil, I'm going to send it off to a refinery. So I got to truck it or pipeline it all the way over there. I got to refine it. I'm going to create a lot of byproducts in that process. And then I got to truck it back to site versus plumbing and bringing over associated gas that's maybe 200 yards of pipe or 500 yards of pipe, whatever it is. You think about what does that mean to the community? Ultimately, by consuming associated gas, we can have a much less disruptive impact on on the communities around us for sure. And it makes the roads safer, less wear and tear. And then ultimately, when we are fracturing next to populated spaces, you know, less noise, what have you. So you mentioned the difference, obviously, in the operations, you know, the elimination of 20 trucks, the diesel fuel from a resource standpoint. So I think some people would hear that and they would think, oh, my gosh, that's my job. Like I produce the diesel or I drive the truck or I write the insurance for the truck or I, you know, whatever. Can you give us an idea of what it's like from a personnel standpoint, from a training application in terms of the personnel that are that are doing the job? Is it the is it comparable or is it new technology? Is it easy to transition that skill set over? I think it depends on the technology that a service company chooses to work with. And that's what we really wanted to focus on was is letting frack companies focus on frack. By that, they're still hooking up hoses, they're pumping slurry, they're doing they're doing their normal job. What we want to do is give them, again, the ESG aspect of it without having a detriment to their operations. So we don't we're not changing the fundamental fact that fracturing is happening. It's still a mechanically intensive process. It's going to have maintenance, it's going to have the rest of those items that go along with it. Our goal is is, is to just do it better. I just I wanted to get your one last question for me. I wanted to get your thoughts on, and I'll probably butcher this, but I'm going to call it a microgrid. I'm going to call it a place where we're generating power in one spot, and then we're running that power to multiple well pads with EFRACs running. And just the viability of that, how it works. I mean, how much can we spread out? How many pads can we power and that kind of thing? How does that work with ideal EFRAC? So, yeah, we refer to it as hub and spoke. So centralized. I told you I would mess it up. No, no, you, you, <laughs> microgrid's another, another great way to put it. So hub and spoke, it's a cool idea. The challenge is, it has to be adopted by an EMP. And by that, it has to be a strategic play. I'm not going to do that on, you know, where I'm fracturing here and there and what have you. It's going to say, I'm going to have a five-year plan. I'm going to set up my power grid here, and I'm going to do this. That's where that technology can come into play. And it can have some huge advantages. And, you know, think about if I have a large power generation on site, I can take that power when I'm not using it for fracturing. I can pump it into the grid. I'm then commoditizing what was gas that I'm flaring. So it's better, I'm less disrupted to the environment, and I'm getting some dollar value for that associated gas that I'm burning. So there is some advantages to it for sure. But will it be a wide-scale adoption? I would say more likely not than yes. It seemed to me with the super majors starting to move in, 
those are the kind of players that would have that kind of vision as they develop a field that that's they're, they're the kind of people that execute in that and would gladly take the extra revenue with not flaring it oh absolutely and that's who's we'll have our leaders and then we'll have our fast follows and, and what have you and the model can work it's just a matter of putting all the parts and pieces together which is a challenge so kind of like the last question to kind of wrap things up without going too far i know this is obviously new but do you what do you see coming forward what are some areas that without giving too much away that you opportunities for improvement or opportunities for, for new technology to come in that you may be seeing that you can tell us a little bit about as far as the next generation, if you will, of, of ideal? Yeah, I mean, electrification doesn't stop at fracturing. As soon as we say we're going to have electrical power available in the oil field, whether it's grid power or whether it's you know burning natural gas and turning it into electricity, that changes the tool selection, our toolbox. And so that's one of the things that I, I get really excited about is, is electrification is not just the consumption of electrical power in replace of, of conventional equipment. There's a lot of advantages that come with electrification, whether it's feedback, whether it's control, whether it's, you know, equipment life, amortization of equipment, what have you. There's a lot of advantages there. So to me, EFRAC is an easy target because it's such a environmental contributor when you look at it. And obviously it's, it's something that the average American or, you know, average person in the world is familiar with, but the trickle on effect of that can be substantial in the rest of the technologies that ultimately, you know, our goal is, is we want to produce oil for less period. That's our goal. We want to make, we want to move the needle and do it responsibly. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much. Brilliant. It was, it was well done. And we thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. So, and with that, we're going to take a break in between segments. And up, coming up next is Ian Hinkus, who's the Senior Vice President of Operations for Next Tier Completion Solutions. So we'll look forward to hearing from him, get a little bit more insight on this topic after the break. Hey, Sean, quick note about our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. HPE goes beyond digital transformation. Their unique offerings can redefine your company's experience from edge to cloud to core. They can show you how to create a digital reinvention in oil and gas. Their experts can explain how to use intelligent data and infrastructure solutions using digital technologies like never before to open new revenue streams and results. Sean, where can our listeners find out more? It's a great question, Eric. They can go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT or click on the link in the show notes for more information and where to download this white paper all about it. All right, so welcome to the Insights segment of the podcast. Eric, we just got done talking to Travis Bolt over at NOB about this ideal EFRAC, just an amazing technology and a great story that you presented to us. Yeah, an amazing, an amazing view of what's to come. And one of the things I like that he kind of wrapped up with this is, you know, we're bringing electricity to the field. EFRAC's just really the first step of the tools in the toolbox and what we're going to do to continue to evolve. So exciting. Yeah, and like you said, with, all, with, those, with that trifecta of advantages, it just seems to be like a great... In the spirit of what we're trying to do, a business case for it, there's, there's you know, technology advancing and, of course, an ESG application, which is what we're always looking for, especially nowadays. And so to help us with the inside segment, we have Ian Hinkes, who's the Senior Vice President of Operations at Next Here. He's got 27 years in the oil and gas industry with multiple roles throughout multiple oil and field services companies, including Schlumberger, which is where I met him and worked with him a while ago. He's been with Nextair for the last five years. He's got a mechanical engineering degree from Penn State, and he's here talking to us about EFRAC and how NOV and Nextair fit together. So Ian, with that, thank you for coming on and, and talking to us. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. So I know there's a, you know, an official, there's a, there's a relationship between Nextair and between NOV. As y'all looked at this EFRAC development technology, what did you see as an opportunity and how did that, and how did that play into what y'all are trying to do in the field? Well, Nextier has been looking at the electric technology for several years. 
And, you know, there's first generation technology out there that's been been in the industry for probably six, seven years. So we were kind of watching that space and trying to learn from it and make sure that we approach the business in the right way to where we could get the return on our, our investment. And we learned a lot of things. We talked to a lot of vendors and customers to try to really understand the market before we jumped in. And we were about to actually create our own solution. We, you know, with our engineering team and with our experience, we actually started looking at how we could do this ourselves. And then we were able to find out about what NOV was building and we took a look at it. We really liked it. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of positives for why we decided to partner with NOV to test this technology. They've got proven technologies. We've used them in the past for multiple other technologies and we already had that relationship. They have a lot of engineering prowess and we investigated it and liked the design and one thing led to another and we agreed to field test it and that's what we're doing right now. So Ian wanted to, you know, one of the things that Travis talked about was just kind of the customer driven aspect of this. And, and you guys are obviously on the front line working with the EMPs. Just your thoughts about, as you look at the producers, you know, what are they demanding right now? What, what's the drivers for them? And what are they telling next year? What are they telling OFS companies about, hey, this is what we need from ROI. This is what we need from ESG. Again, back to, you know, Travis's three-legged stool. Just want to get your thoughts on that whole customer interaction and how that's driving things. Well, it's evolving very rapidly. In fact, a lot faster than any of us really anticipated. Up until now, the electric technology in frac has kind of been just a niche market. And the drivers up to this point have historically been just cost. So Travis talked about the associated gas. The more gas we can burn, the cheaper it is, the more economically viable it is. And that, you know, with the dual fuel technology that's becoming more prevalent has been really contributing to the drop in the cost to produce per barrel. And so that has historically been the driver, but now what we're seeing is that there's a lot more focus on ESG. And it really started with the larger companies, you know, they've got their sustainability plans that they put in place. And a lot of that is built around burning cleaner or using cleaner energy to produce oil and gas. So I think that it's an evolution and it's really picking up steam right now. And I think that we will be coming to the market just at the right time. And, you know, currently there's not that many electric fleets in the market and the demand is, is rising. So it's, it's really a unique time for us. And I think it's a tremendous opportunity. If you could help us a little bit from a C-suite executive level type comprehension around ESG, as you said, we, we've known about it. We've all you know, corporate social responsibility or SRI or HSE or some element. I think we've all had this undercurrent of what else we're supposed to do besides make money and be that sustainable company. But now we're seeing this massive push that is, I don't want to say forcing us, but it is putting it in such a way that we have to account for it from an operational standpoint, from a management standpoint, of contracts, negotiations, what's expected. So in terms of drinking from that fire hose and ESG, what have, what have y'all seen or what have you seen personally helped in terms of understanding that, helped in terms of kind of digesting that request? Well, I think, first of all, one of our core values is to do the right thing. And we think in next year, this is the right thing to do. And I think across the globe, the population has really been pushing these sorts of initiatives in terms of sustainability and, you know, the concern about climate change and utilizing, you know, renewable energy and it's really starting to catch hold in the business world. There's a lot of investment out there that's quite frankly demanding that not just our industry, but all industries convert 
to better sustainability. So really, this year has kicked off kind of the next generation in how corporations are responding to the demand of the public. And it's really refreshing to see how business is driving it. So it, it really started as a social concern, then it was a political concern, and now it's really, it makes economic sense for us to do it. So our customers want to invest in it, and because of that, we want to invest in it, and it ultimately it's the right thing to do. One of the things that we hear across OFS, when you, when you listen to the analysts and you listen to others in the space, they're always talking about pricing discipline and OFS needing to find the margins. Do you get squeezed by your customers to, you know, to try to, to keep the cost down, right? And I think one of the things that Travis hit on and, and what NOV was focused on, we want to help you produce gas cheaper, right? And so just want to get your thoughts on, you know, kind of from next year's perspective, the pricing issue, the economics of it, and how EFRAC plays into profitability and success, both for you and for your customers, right? That's an excellent question. I think considering the fact that we've gone through the whole economic crisis over the last year in the energy industry because of the COVID pandemic, I think it's made us a bit smarter in how we invest and how we can reduce cost, the cost per barrel produced. Traditionally, it's been, you know, our customers have had the strategy to debundle services where they break all the services up and then drive everyone's unit price down as low as they possibly can. And that worked during the time that they implemented that. And it contributed to us reducing, you know, the, the industry got really innovative in reducing cost by maximizing efficiency and reducing waste. And I think we've gotten to the point now where we can't really do a whole lot more until we change the way we operate. And that change is really moving into this new ESG kind of mode of thinking and mode of operating. And by going to electrification, we have the opportunity to use clean energy. We have the opportunity to use gas instead of diesel. And it's cheaper to do that than burning diesel and running trucks up and up and down the road to deliver, you know, thousands of gallons of diesel on a regular basis to power our fleets. So kind of a broad, basic question and maybe help the listeners understand a little bit. As you project and look out from just hydraulic fracturing as, as a service, as something we're going to be doing in terms of pulling out hydrocarbons, that a little bit of what, you know, we talked about some of the technologies aren't going to go anywhere, but that process itself in terms of a market, in terms of what's out there, that's not going anywhere either. It's not going anywhere. I think that, you know, what we're seeing is still the majority of the work that we do is the low t low tier technology, which is still burning diesel fuel. And the industry is investing heavily into the dual fuel technology, which gets us to the next level. And it allows us to burn or use 80%, 60 to 80% of gas as opposed to uh, substitution of the diesel. So it is a step in the right direction. And the reason why it's taken hold and there's a lot of investment is because it's proven technology, it's reliable, it's got redundancy built in inherently, and it's what the industry is, is used to using. It's still diesel and gas burning reciprocating engines. There's a lot of experience in that. So it's not going anywhere. And, but I think that, like we talked about earlier, the electrification technology is gaining a lot of interest and I think that it's going to reach a tipping point and the amount of investment that goes into that is going to come very rapidly. And we're, we're on the verge of being ahead of everybody else to take that initial step once, once that tipping point comes. So as we talk about that tipping point and we talk about electrification, you know, kind of at the well pad, and I think Travis did on this a little bit, like EFRAC is really just kind of the first step. When Nextier looks at 
at what this is, where this is leading, you know, what, what are some other areas where we can tap into this electricity, tap into this mode of doing things and find either more efficiencies, find either more of that ESG leg that Travis talked about, just your thoughts generally on where you think this could go kind of the next step. Well, Travis talked a lot about electric grids versus gas burning technology. I think there's the long-term vision is really to be able to tap into Highline power. And the benefit of Highline power is you can actually have renewable energy and, you know, feeding the Highline power. That can be wind, that can be solar, that can be gas burning. You know, there's the possibilities are endless. And really, it's the playbook hasn't been written on that. And there's a lot of experimentation going on right now. And there will be a transition to get to that holy grail, which is tapping into a grid. And in fact, we are field testing this technology right now, and we have a tremendous amount of interest from multiple customers to test this using reciprocating gas burning generation, as well as battery, as well as Highline power. So we've got, we've got like a full portfolio of testing that we can do over the next six to eight months to give us a lot of opportunity to find out what works and what doesn't. And I would say we should watch this space. I think it's going to rapidly change over time. But we feel very optimistic about where this can go in the long term. I love the idea of the partnership. And we've recorded, we actually recorded another episode, Sean, obviously, which you were aware you were there, (laughs) where we had offshore wind powering, you know, deep sea platforms, right? And so, you know, taking, you know, some of that power and, and, and doing it renewable, it's almost like we're headed towards eventually the ideal goal to use the favorite NOV term. It's almost like a green EFRAC, right? Wind and solar hitting the high lines and high lines powering the, powering the pumps, right? So that would be really amazing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, maybe help us, uh, help the listener out there who's, it seems like there's, it's business as usual in terms of we're going to be fracking, we're going to be drilling and producing hydrocarbons, but it's not business as usual because we're going to have to take into account ESG factors or just economic efficiencies, all of those aspects. And, and that we can't, we, so we're going to be required to do these things, but not in the way that we did it before. And we don't really have a lot of time to transition in a, in a way. You know, there's a lot of pressure, especially on the financial side and the human capital side, which we talk about a lot. If, you're, if somebody's listening out there, it's kind of, in your, it's kind of a, a peer it's kind of like trying to figure it out. What would, what's some advice you would give somebody in, in terms of how they should go through the process of understanding what's the next step of what's required of them? Because it seems like you and next year have a, a firm hold on what you need to do going forward. Well, the advice I would give is to, to have an open mind. I think that there's a lot of traditional thinking that's still maybe dragging the industry down and not just our industry, but multiple. I think if we keep an open mind and always just have that mindset of continuous improvement, openly engaging with our customers and our employees and our communities, there's a lot of good ideas out there. And some of them we may not be able to implement in the short term, but there's a lot of smart people out there, including investors that are, uh, you know, giving us hints as to what they want to do and we're listening. And I think that's been a key success to next year is that we've been very nimble, very open-minded, and we will do what makes sense, what makes economic sense and what's, uh, what's good for our company and for the industry. Well, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time and, and speaking to us and bringing your insight to our listeners. Thank you very much. All right. So with that, so Eric, I do feel like we need to do a little wrap this up. You know, this is a normal episode, but it's a, not a normal episode. We're here at the Thrive Energy Conference that Daniel Energy Partners is putting on, which is, I don't know, you're a big part of it. You want to say a few things before we get, wrap this up? Yeah. And an amazing event when John Daniel came to me several months ago and said he wanted to do an in-person event at Minute Maid Park in my head without saying it out loud. I said, John, you're insane. But his vision, 
I believed in it. And Winston Strawn is excited to be a founding sponsor. We're proud to be a part of it. And as we sit here today and record this episode and we look out and we can see people on the big screen here at Minute Maid Park, it's obviously it's been a home run. So exciting, excited to really be a part of it and, and see what we can do in the future in this type of an event. Yeah. And even into the conference itself, I know we were talking to Bill Austin and, and some others that, you know, ESG was a big part of why they decided to do this conference. A little bit like what Ian was saying, there's a pressure, there's a need, there's a desire to understand things. And and while we've been, you know, and, and rightfully so, you know, distanced and we're still distancing as we're doing all this as, as we need to and as we can. But there's this opportunity that we need to get people in the room together and talk about this thing and understand what's going on in the market. Yeah, a great event. And, you know, John was always focused on electrification, ESG, getting OFS together with others in the energy industry, the big umbrella. And, you know, again, it's called Thrive. And, and that's what John's vision is. We should thrive. We, we do have the technology. We do have the vision. And it's just time to execute. So. Yeah. So with that, check out uh, Daniel Energy Partners and the Thrive Energy Conference coming in 2022. And we'll do this again at that time. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for March 2021. This month we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGGN Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we are doing is to tell a friend about it, ask them to listen, and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at oggn.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, here to innovate. innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, here to innovate. Ha!